everyone. Welcome to this week's Red Voices. It's a pleasure to have you with us as myself, Ewan, and him, Rich, pour over the finer points of Manchester United's last seven days, which could best be described as the Tony and Bruno show after a drab draw in Bruges and a very useful victory over Watford in the Premier League earlier today. Richard, my friend, how are we? I'm not bad. I'm reveling in the fact that United won two consecutive league games for only the third time this season. So, uh, I mean, you heard that stat several times on the commentary, so that was clearly very well rehearsed. Well done. Yes, it was. It was very rehearsed. But yeah, I mean, it's... I, but when you hear that, it seems quite remarkable, doesn't it? But it doesn't. Yeah, it also doesn't. No, it also doesn't because it has felt like that as well. So, yeah, we shouldn't scoff at having beaten Watford if it's two wins in a row, for which is a rarity. So, and if we're going to have any chance of actually getting ourselves into a Champions League place next year, we're going to have to start winning quite a few games in a row. So, it's a start. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, let's wind it back to uh, Thursday night uh, over in Belgium. First visit to Club Bruges since 2015. In Van Hal's second season in charge uh, for a Champions League qualifier, if memory serves correctly. Um, Now, obviously, things have changed to a certain degree for United, given the massive amounts of player turnover managers that we've had during that period of time. Um, How... You might find this shocking, but I can't say I've actually kept very close tabs on what's been going on with Club Bruges these days, so I had no idea what to expect from them. But I think we certainly felt like we knew what to expect from United, and to be honest, that pretty drab, directionless, slack, very loose performance was pretty much what I was expecting, to be quite frank. What about you? Yeah, I mean, they're top of the um, top of the Belgian league, which is not a, the greatest of um, <clears throat> accolades these days, but it's a, you know they're, they're clearly a capable team. They drew in in Madrid in the Champions League group stage but didn't win a game United have actually been linked with the uh, with the striker Nigerian striker was he called Daniel I can't remember now Dennis Dennis that's him yes United had I noticed they were linked with him a few, a few months ago so you know he's clearly a player of some, some reasonable pedigree I guess what we got was what we kind of feared with with all the changes that, that we made I think it's five or six changes uh, if, if there's one takeaway point if you say what's the, the the big takeaway point from the two games this week it's it's just that Bruno Fernandes is considerably better than any of our other um, midfielders in terms of talent technique and creativity um, and you saw the difference in that game with and without him in all his Technical, technical glory. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Pereira and Lingard back into the side, and I almost feel like when when those two play, we're playing with ten men at the moment. I don't want to disparage them too much because I think that they're both capable of better performances than that. But they're both they're both footballers that for all of this season, and in Lingard's case, most of last season, really are performing at a very very poor standard, um, which I think was reflected with both being left out of the squad today. And I think when you when you bring players like that back in again and you, you make a number of changes, you're never going to get the same the same fluidity or control that you perhaps um, have in other games. And when United don't necessarily control games, particularly well anyway, when that's reduced, then you, you get the kind of harem scarum game which we got in Bruges, which, to be honest, could have... I think ultimately we were fairly fortunate to have come away with an away goal and, and not to have lost the game. Yeah, I mean, that it's pretty much a 3-4-3 that we were trying for on that Thursday night. It looked like we'd never had three at the back prior. You know, such was the ease with which Bruce were able to completely bypass that midfield. You know, I realised that Fred wasn't there, but there's enough experience and enough wherewithal, you would assume, to be able to stop this team from making us look quite so vulnerable. And it was a completely route one goal that we eventually fell behind to. You know, regardless of whether or not that should have been a corner... United's response to that and their reaction was ridiculous. You know, Simon Mignolet just pumped it upfield, 
both of our centre-backs were seemingly unaware. And I understand Sergio Romero's actions to a certain extent, I, rushing I out trying to catch the attacker off guard, but it clearly didn't work. Yeah. You know, that, that was flappy surge back in full effect, really, wasn't it? And a great lob from Dennis straight into the goal. And to be fair, for the first 30 minutes or so, you'd say Club Bruges were good value for that lead. And not only that, they could easily have added to it. And it took Martial doing, I think the best way to describe it is essentially just being switched on enough and having, you know, putting the afterburners on. And it was at a Cooper uh, throw-in. The defenders allowed it to go across him and Martial just thought, well, I can just outpace you and just had a relatively easy time of it. In those sort of positions, when Martial is clean through on goal, he is going to score way more often than not. So it was a poor decision by the defender, to say the least, to let him through there. And I guess the interesting thing from that was that for the last 10 minutes of that half, United actually like could get a second goal. I think it was uh, Pereira who flashed a pass across the goal that Brandon Williams sort of spurned wide. And what was it? Martial with a tight shot that hit the post. Yeah. So yeah, the United did pick up a little bit as a response to that equalising goal. But the huge difference, as you mentioned there, between Bruno Fernandes being off the pitch and then coming on it in that last sort of 10 minutes or so was vast. Just, yeah. I mean, it, it's incredible just how much more direct and how much more fluid we are in a game that can be as open as that and how much quicker we are at moving the ball from defence to attack when you've got someone who doesn't need to take an extra touch, who knows seemingly knows where the players are or where they're going to be and will take risks with their passing. You know, I think the biggest change, I think it's highlighted for me or the biggest single note I can take from it when Bruno Fernandes is coming on the pitch, it shows just how safe a lot of our other players play it especially in midfield. No, you're right. I mean, even today, you're looking at his stats and in, in isolation, you look at a pass completion rate of 71% today and you think, well, that's pretty poor. I mean, that's well below almost every other player on the pitch. But the point was, you, when if you actually watch him, you could see why his, his pass completion is low and it's not necessarily a reflection on his performance. It's because he's trying the hard things. Mm. And it, it's not just that. It's like you say, we as soon as as he and Fred came on in, in Bruges, United suddenly had a control of that game, which they hadn't had for the the, the previous, whatever it was, 70, 65, 70 minutes, and and looked like the, the team that could have gone on and scored it. And it was it was just a combination of of tactical awareness and and comf- being comfortable on the ball. You know, one of the one of the issues with Pereira and, and Lingard lately has been just simply that they're, they're not even doing the basics. And they're losing possession in the most basic areas, and and to to suddenly see a player who was not only or two players who are not only not losing the ball with such regularity and ease, but also doing making intelligent decisions when they got the ball, the, the contrast was absolutely gigantic, um, and it, mm. it, it clearly it was clearly apparent to to Wally as well as as much as it was apparent to us that that, that golf in. In quality, given that both were dropped today. I mean, I think there was an element that they were dropped with uh, Thursday in mind. You know, I think obviously with the amount of games that we got coming up, you know, we have at least five games in March coming up, and it's pretty much the Thursday Sunday roll that's going to be coming around for that entire month. So I think it makes sense to give them a rest and potentially bring them back into the lineup along with the likes of Juan Mata as well. So it didn't surprise me too much that he didn't start today, especially when Bruno hadn't played and Mason Greenwood was coming back into the side. So I thought it made sense. I mean, how much of a statement do you think it is that they didn't actually, they were not involved in the squad whatsoever? Well, I mean, Oli Oli actually said that, or essentially implied or alluded to the fact that they weren't in the squad because their their performances hadn't been good enough. 
in, in Bruges. And, I, and I'm absolutely certain you're right that at least one of them will, will start on Thursday because you would hope at home, even if you make those five or six cha- changes and you have a, two or three out-form players, you should still be winning that, that game relatively comfortably. But Oli was asked why neither were in the squad, and he essentially said that you've got to be, we've got competition places now, and you've got to perform to a high enough standard, or you won't be involved. And that's, you know, that's the kind of thing I've wanted to, to hear from Oli, and I appreciate he's not had the, the squad to be able to be that, that ruthless. But but he's he's generally in tone he's spoken about players has always been, overwhelmingly, positive and protective of players, and and that's okay to a, to a point. But there have been points when you just felt. He needed to say to you know openly say that this this guy isn't being this guy hasn't been good enough or this guy hasn't been good enough and he hasn't done it. But but he, he the way he expressed himself in that when asked that question he was very much well you know tough shit. We've got a really good really high class creative midfielder in now and if you put in the sort of performance you put in the other night you won't be involved at all on the match day. Well, essentially three players have come back into the squad as well, which makes it a little bit easier. You know the, the yeah. fact that McTominay yeah. is now back in the side and came on for what the last 10 minutes today you've got Igalo in the team who obviously takes a little bit of the pressure off Martial in the sense that he knows that potentially he's not going to have to play every single 90 minutes until Rashford comes back mm-hmm. which is obviously good news and obviously you've got Bruno as well which means that potentially Lingard and Pereira are scrapping for one place if that so yeah I think it really does change the equation when you've got Fernandez and Igalo coming in alongside Metzomino returning from injury you know you're right I think that I don't think anyone can question Solskjaer's decision to not involve Lingard and Pereira, even based apart from that game on Thursday, because prior to that, they weren't pulling up any trees. You know, what is it? Ah, Two goals, no assists from Lingard in the, what, since January of last year? Mm. Pereira has, again, been trying his best. You're right. I, I think Lingard has certainly offered... We know there's more to come from Jesse Lingard. He can provide more than he's currently providing. With Pereira, still a bit of an asterisk and a question mark because we ultimately haven't seen him perform over the course of 12 months to know where his ceiling is. And But the problem is now, for the two of them, is that there are players that are performing outperforming them that can simply take their spot and make sure they aren't in the squad, let alone the starting at 11. So, you know, it really is on them to step up. And it... I would be very surprised if a lot of United fans actually believe them capable of doing very much that thing, to be quite no. frank. I mean, I'd, I'd be really no. surprised if either were at United next season. I think the one thing that Oli did when we spoke about after the summer is I think he was pretty um, pretty brutal with the, the moving on as many players as he could possibly move on. And I think that those are two, for their own, from their own perspective as well, you know, particularly Jesse Lingard, I, I really feel like Jesse Lingard needs to move somewhere else and and actually restart to rebuild his career because I just can't see it happening at United for him anymore. I think Pereira probably needs the same just to to be getting games because I don't think he'll, we'll, we'll see him very much next season if he's still around. Um, but but ultimately, neither of them I think are at the anywhere near the level performing anywhere near the level that we need, that United need players to be at. And that, like, I can I can honestly see them both moving on the summer. But obviously, Oli's got to nurse his squad through the rest of the season, and the, the rest of the season is going to be. In, incredibly busy and incredibly demanding if we continue on in the Europa League so he can't afford to completely shun them but he but also by the same token he is in a position now where he can say look if you perform like that you won't be playing again on the Saturday or or the next match so you know from that perspective that's a good thing because for the first time in quite a long time he's got midfield option true at least we didn't give the complete tie away in that first Mm. leg performance you know it wasn't ideal 
I think arguably with the quality that we had on the pitch, you would expect us to have created a little bit more if you hadn't been watching United over the course of the last 18 months or so. Anyway, yeah, you know, we go, we go into that second leg in Manchester on Thursday night and I think that it's reasonable to expect a little bit more. You know, Green will be back in the side. I'm assuming Agar is going to start that game with Sunday's trip to Goodison Park in mind. So we'll see how that one pans out. And, you know, I guess the big thing about the Europa League as well is that it's another iron in the fire in terms of Champions League football. You know, I don't... This is going to be a bigger task than it was trying to win the competition back in 2018, for sure. Sorry, 20, it's 2017, actually, wasn't it? Yeah, 2017, yeah. beg your pardon. It's going to be a bigger task purely because I don't think the squad is potentially as good as it was back at that point. Um, so it's a big ask. And I think United being able to grind through this tournament would be a massive undertaking and a great, um, I think it would be a massive achievement if we can actually get through it this season, especially because it's very difficult segue to imagine what on earth is going to happen over the next three months of the Premier League. You know, you look at this weekend's games. I mean, I guess we can talk a little bit about Abarabas now before we go into that game against Watford. You know, watch Chelsea Spurs on Saturday. Spurs are obviously really missing uh, Harry Kane and Song Hyun Min. But that team has been Mourinho'd in double quick time, hasn't it? I know they're two big players. I'm not debating that whatsoever. But there is already such negativity about them. So reactive. So limited. You know, it is like looking in the mirror of maybe the last sort of year or so of Mourinho's time at United, isn't it? It is. And I can't help feeling that he's he's exacerbating the problem. Because if you've heard his... um his press conferences and his interviews in the last couple of weeks and it has, it has essentially been we've lost both of our forwards and it's going to make us a lot worse and we haven't got anybody who can take their place and you know that that sort of negativity it's the kind of it's the kind of negativity that he'd never have used when he was at Chelsea the first time round or, or very rarely would have would have used you know it was all about challenging players daring players to be better wasn't it and to well it was all looking at the opponent and talking about the opponent you know and now he spends a lot of time talking about himself and the challenges that he and his players are facing as opposed to trying to I mean I guess there is a deflection tactic going on there I mean I'm also conscious about not talking too much about a manager that you know we sacked about uh, 14 months ago uh, I mean, Chelsea were well, well worthy of that victory mm. on Saturday afternoon, weren't they? Olivier Giroud with that banger of a goal. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't really comprehend why, given the options that he's had, that that Lampard hasn't used Giroud more, um, particularly with Abraham being being injured. Batshuayi is never convinced at, at Chelsea at all, and you could see why with the the, the, the misses that he had against United. Um, <laughs> you know, yep. Giroud still does. Giroud, Giroud is still a, a very useful, very serviceable centre forward he's the very definition of a do a job centre forward that Chelsea could get something out of right yeah exactly Spurs just didn't didn't offer anything I, I think Chelsea played well but I think also Spurs were just absolutely abject and again yeah. I mean we've looked we've seen them uh the City game obviously they won 2-0 but they're incredibly fortunate in that game I mean City could have been three or four up before before the sending off and, and, and Spurs taking the lead and they got, they got away with it in that one to, to a degree that we kind of saw that with United, didn't we, under Mourinho's? Quite often we'd take a bit of a hammering and and just come, particularly in the in the season we finished second, we'd we'd win games that we really didn't deserve to win. We 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 were really ugly, but we just somehow sort of scraped it out, and that's what they did in that game. But then played Leipzig, who are another really good, very good team, very very well coached team, and and really got blown away. And then and then 
the, the very same at Chelsea. And as you say, I mean, it, again, like you say, we don't want to focus too much on a, on a previous manager, but it's, it's fascinating seeing that, watching it from the outside and seeing the same things that we saw at United happening at Spurs and just just seeing it play out but also seeing how obviously Spurs a lot of there's a few there's quite a few Spurs fans who aren't sold on Mourinho but a lot are still in the we desperately want this to work so we're going to we're going to go with it stage and that's that's Mm. fine I mean that's certainly what we where we were in the the first season or the first 18 months under Mourinho um but it's just really really interesting watching it from the outside and you've got to think that if unless Mourinho finds some sort of solution from somewhere they're going to have the that's one team that we thought we'd really have to worry about in that battle for sort of top fourth or fifth that maybe we don't have to worry about quite as much but you never know do you no I mean you know you obviously you can't discount what Chelsea are going to do I think the thing that's interesting is that United are having their worst league season what in the Premier League's history and Chelsea are only three points better off than we are and I think that's a particularly salient point in that sense because you know I think Lampard's done some good things over there don't get me wrong but there's still the fragility about that side and you, you watch the contrast in how Chelsea went about those last two games you know the fact that they fell one goal behind all right yes they clawed it back and were depending on your uh, predilection somewhat fortunate slash uh, unlucky to get that goal chalked off the uh, the Kurt Zuma goal uh, by VAR, um, but the difference in the way Chelsea played from when they fell one behind to when they went up one was huge. You know, it made me extra pleased and uh, grateful for Martial's header last Monday, just purely because you do wonder how on earth that game would have panned out had Chelsea taken the lead. I think they sit back and we have to try and break a very stubborn team down and we don't do it. So yeah, hugely grateful for that first goal. I guess one of the other big teams that we need to worry about are Wolves. You know, I don't think unless we play against them in the Europa League, we're going to be coming up against them again, which would be nice because I'm sick of the sight of them at this point. They had a very useful, what was it, 3-0 win over bottom of the table Norwich. And we, at the same time, were playing 19th placed Watford. And of course, last time we played them, they hadn't scored a goal at home in about 17 years, hadn't won in about 24 decades or so. And of course, they beat us 2-0. So I think it was it was always going to be a tricky game today, wasn't it? Especially after that first half display. I think it, it again, we didn't necessarily learn a huge amount of new things about Manchester United tonight. But I think that, in particular, it's shone an even harsher light on just how much United are reliant on getting that first goal and how much that helps to settle them, right? What you noticed immediately was that the the Wolves, I beg your pardon, Watford had um, decided that they were going to to press us very high, very hard from the start of the game. And you, they've obviously mm-hmm. seen that, that United under Oli are very keen to to play out from the back and play through the press. But when put under a lot of pressure, we've seen that press that 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 playing out through the press can often become a bit of shambolic. Um, yeah, I mean, I get why we do it. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's elements where you know when you've got Martial at top, you know, heading and holding the ball up is not necessarily his strength. So I think Solskjaer's hesitant to let De Gea punt it forward from goal kicks and pass it around. But the thing is, we're just no good at it, are we? We struggle so much with that pressure. And you saw they they, they targeted Fred. I mean, you know, we we both agree that we think Fred's been playing very well recently. But we, we have seen in the last year that he's been caught out a number of times receiving the ball with his back to goal from the centre-backs mm. or from the keeper and, and, and been dispossessed and United have either 
conceded from it or conceded a good chance from it. And again, you can see Watford were really um, trying to play on that. And United just looked a bag of nerves at the back. Um, I think I said that you know United's most the most dangerous phase of play where, for United in any given game, particularly at home, it seems to be. Is when we've got the ball in our own in our, in our own third, first third, and mm. as you say, it needed us to get the get the first goal because I mean there was the one the one chance where was it was it um, Maguire, no, Matic and Maguire or Matic and Lindelof basically just ran into each other. Yeah, Matic and Maguire. Matic and Maguire was right, and I forget which Watford player was through, but Luke Shaw came across and made a really really uh, goal saving block on the on the on the forward. And, and Watford had another couple of really good opportunities, and they were they were picking us off, and, and we looked far too open on the counter. So it was it was really really important. We got that goal, and and as as with the last uh, couple of games where he's been on the pitch, everything that United did that was that was good went through Fernandez, and it was no surprise that ultimately he he won the um, won the penalty that got us ahead. And I think once we were ahead. Even once we're ahead, I think we finished the half reasonably well, but the second half started much as the first half had, and he and he mm. really took a he really took a that VAR decision on the equalising goal to wake us up, and I think once we got past that and we woke up, then the game the game sort of stretched away from Watford from there, and we really started to take advantage of the space that Watford were having to leave by committing more men forward. Mm. Going back to talking about that press because it's something that you know as. A... <laughs> We've been watching United, you know, week in, week out for the last sort of six, seven years. It seems to be a consistent fault of the Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho era. I mean, particularly probably for Mourinho onwards in the sense that we just can't cope with that high press at all. And I understand Solskjaer's thinking to a certain extent in the sense that what's the riskier thing to try and pass it out and prod and try and find a hole and then try and jump forward quickly or punt it forward and the ball come back to us. The problem is we keep seeing if we keep trying this pass out from the back, we just put ourselves under so much pressure and we lose the ball, especially in bad areas. And it's just not worth it at the moment, especially because we don't have the players that can really utilise it and do it well, you know. Fred's got many skills. I don't think passing out from the back with his back to the opposition goal is one of them yeah. at all. I think one of the one of the things is that because Solskjaer's plan relies so much on counter attacking, or, or we were, we only appear to be good at counter attacking, the, the best way to to allow the space to do that at home is to let the other team press you high up the pitch. So from mm. that perspective, playing out from the back makes sense because it draws the forwards out, it pulls the, the opposition midfield up the field and you have more space to, to counter on. But as you say, it, what it means is that you never really, you never have control of a game, particularly when you're not especially adept at actually passing it out. You're always going to give up chances. You're always going to lose the ball in dangerous areas and, and you'll be caught on the counter yourself. And that's part of the reason. I mean, part of the reason why we never have control of games is because the midfield generally isn't good enough to to do that but but that is the, the biggest issue i think is because you we ha- we have to invite ourselves invite take the ball into dangerous areas to actually allow ourselves to play the way we want to play whereas with Mourinho and his low block the entire team would sit deep and we we essentially try and win the ball in in our own third or in in our own half and then everyone would try and spring forward We're, with Oli we're basically working on the basis that a lot of the players stay forward anyway. So when we try and play out through that through that press, 
we've got players further up the, up the pitch, which gives us a better chance to counter-attack and, get, and actually retain the ball and get out, but it just makes it incredibly dangerous defensively as well. Yes, it's not ideal, is it? Um, but yeah, you mentioned in particular that Bruno Fernandes uh, penalty. One thing to mention prior to that, because we had a pretty decent chance that Fred just sort of curled over the bar after really good work from Dan James, who picked out Fred on the edge of the area. The game was starting to open up at that point, so it wasn't a complete surprise that United, you know, managed to get their noses in front um you know it was great work by Bruno to just go around the keeper and to be fair I think he's already already going down but at the same time he's taking the ball wide and Foster's got an absolutely none of the ball so yeah nailed on penalty he didn't really need a VAR check did it so very confidently taking penalty you know if anyone if any of you that have watched the highlight reel I'm sure at least 70% of us have because we didn't know what on earth we were getting when we spent what 40 50 million pounds on him last month yeah, penalties were certainly a, a large part of that highlight reel, weren't they? So it was nice to see him have the confidence to take that. And it clearly meant a lot to him as well. It was nice, you know, and he, he was easily man of the match today. I think there was an element in the games that he played against Wolves and Chelsea that he was kind of man of the match by proxy because no one else really stood out. I think he earned it by right today because he was at, he was excellent. Let's be frank, you know, he was part of every single good thing that United did when they were going forward. As you mentioned there, you know, his pass completion, which was something, oddly enough, United mentioned as a reason, well, you know, in passing, obviously telling uh, briefing that one of the reasons they weren't looking at Fernandes because they weren't sure about his passing stats. The fact is that, yeah, he will give the ball away, but he doesn't give it away in ridiculously dangerous situations. Often the times he does give it away is because he's trying something to stretch a defence and to push our players forward. You know, he's constantly cajoling them, constantly trying to get them to push forward, constantly pointing out space and pockets that they could actually move into, which is really encouraging to see. It's nice to see someone come into this side, which has been often so lethargic and sometimes difficult to watch, and be that proactive. Yeah, and I, I think it's... it's... It's not just about that. It's about his overall mentality as well. I mean, at Sporting, he was playing in a pretty poor team, relatively, um, compared to his own talents. And and it was to his credit, I think, that he 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 became a leader in that team. And even if the team was struggling, he was still performing. And you've 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 seen in his first three games for United that he's a, he's a player who isn't going to be overwhelmed by the pressure of playing for United. And and a guy who he doesn't care if his previous three passes haven't come off. He's still he's still going to try the difficult one again. Um, he's still going to make the, the the risky break, or he's you know, and he trusts himself to receive the ball in tight areas and get passes away. And he, he's clearly got a very 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 strong mentality, and it's that kind of player that United have really been missing in the last few years. And of all the players we've been linked to this summer, you know, I've, I've kind of really like the idea of signing Jack Grealish because I think he's another guy who again he's playing in the poor team but he's he's a guy who's who's so self-confident and so um sure in himself and, and you know Bruno Neve doesn't come across as an arrogant guy but he's a guy who clearly has faith in his own ability and hmm. I think it's very much the same thing the sort of players that aren't going to be phased by pressure aren't going to be phased by a difficult situation in a game and who are just going to keep playing their game keep asking for the ball not hiding and keep trying those passes they're actually going to make the difference between um a loss a draw or a win and you could see you could see very much that's the case and I think the other thing I've really enjoyed as well is that he's immediately come in and I think that 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 two-week break and that break it away with the with the team in the in the winter break was really useful for in terms in terms of getting to know him and him getting to know his teammates but from the very first game, he's been pointing and shouting and, and 
encouraging teammates, telling them where to run, basically prompting um, verbally as well as as well as in a footballing sense. And again, United United need that in that area of the pitch. We need somebody who's going to be cajoling people, who's going to be telling them where to run, and actually doing more than just impacting the game when they've got the ball themselves, but also impacting impacting it when they haven't. Um, hmm. So I think he's given us a glimpse of the type of player that we really need to be getting going forward. And, and I think it's a positive now that we've signed four players. Um, and I think all of them have have some very positive qualities and bring something to to the team and to the squad. So whilst we, I, I don't have a great deal of faith in, in United doing every deal they want to do or a lot of the deals they want to do, I do kind of at last feel, even if it's six months too late, that we're going for the type of character and the type of player that we perhaps should have been for the last seven or eight years. And I think he's a really good example of perhaps where we may be starting to, to move in the right direction in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it does. everyone's been making this same connection in their mind. But God, imagine if we'd actually signed him last summer where we'd be this season we'd be in the top four now if we signed him in the summer and that's that's how, how absurd it is really you know to save that mm, bit to absolutely. save that bit of money and probably cost ourselves more heartache and stress but there we go um i, I guess the only other player because you were mentioning that having a massive effect was uh one anthony Martial. now the interesting thing with him over this last week in particular is that in the lead up to that goal uh, at stamford bridge and potentially in the lead up to the goal in Belgium on Thursday night. And in a way, you could say it in this game against Watford, I wouldn't say Martial was deeply, deeply involved in the game prior to scoring his goal. But there are elements of him scoring really, you know, not easy goals by any stretch of the imagination, just out of his pure talent. He has come out in this last week and had a great old time. You know, a goal in each game, he's looked when he gets the chances, he's looked very, very sharp. And this is, number one, it's a marvellous time for him to be so lethal in front of goal, and I'm very much enjoying it. Number two, I think it's a different thing for Martial to be as heavily involved in the actual team, in the starting eleven as this, to be somewhat on the periphery of the game, but then to have explosive moments like that. And the, the goal today was easily one of his most memorable, purely for the audacity of it. You know, I think uh, Henry Winter from the Times described it as impudent, which is perfect. You know, it was, again, great work by Bruno to get him. He managed to get beyond Foster, but at that point he was essentially on the the touchline. You know, it was, and there didn't seem to be, with so many Watford players around, I didn't know what he was going to be able to do. But no one closed him down and eventually he did a little shimmy and just thought, well, Sodom's going to chip it. It was glorious. What a goal. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting in the last week that, that Martial scored two, uh, sorry, beg your pardon, three really important goals, which have all been completely different and have all utilised completely different skill sets. So, you know, the, the first was a was a really sort of towering centre-forwards header against Chelsea out of nowhere, really. Then the second was a was was all about pace and strength and 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 composure in the finish, and then today was all about his his technical excellence. And I think you're right that a lot of the time, particularly in, in the last few weeks, Martial's often on the periphery of games. He wasn't particularly holding the ball well up up well at, um, at Stamford Bridge. He wasn't particularly on it in Bruges, and he, and he wasn't today. But when a team has as little um, quality, genuine quality as United have had in in the last few months you need a guy you need a few guys who could just produce something out of nothing even when even when the team is playing badly and that's what he's done and you may not be the the perfect 
centre forward that we need in the longer run. But I think you can't question that he's doing a quite an important job for us at the moment. Well, the easy contrast that I can make when it comes to Martial is before both of his goals in Bruges and against Watford, there were opportunities for him to get on the end of half decent or maybe you know, semi-decent opportunities. You know, you remember Greenwood going in to the box and going to the byline and pulling it back after Dan James had played him through. Martial didn't necessarily react very well to Greenwood being played through and got nowhere near the ball. And he was the only player in the box who could have gotten anywhere near and maybe got that goal in, got the ball in. And he did the, essentially the same against Bruges. He wasn't necessarily very reactive for that. You know, he's not a typical poacher. And I don't think we should ever expect him to be. I think what, I mean, what is he? <laughs> Well, I, I don't know, but if it, I think the good contrast this season is when when Martial actually got injured in the in the first few weeks, and then we had Rashford at centre forward. And given the the form of of Rashford in the couple of, couple of months before he got injured, you know, we could see that we've got a really really talented player on our hands. But he wasn't as, as soon as we lost. Well, as soon as we lost right Rashford on the left, but also the, the whatever Martial was giving us at centre forward, then the performance has dropped off enormously. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I suppose that is the, the one question over his. Over his career so far, what what is he? Is he is he a centre forward? I mean, I don't think he's a top class centre forward, and I don't think he's a top class wide forward or winger. But he's a guy who is so important to us at the moment, simply because he's one of the best finishers at the club, and he's one of the few players who can actually score a goal out of nowhere. And he's got quite a lot of strings to his bow. People are just frustrated because at times it looks like he's on the periphery of games and perhaps not making the runs and not putting in the effort that people expect of a, of a centre forward and that, that may be valid but if he's scoring goals in United winning games I think there's only so much criticism you can really throw his way I'm sure United will buy a striker mm. in the summer he'll, he'll be something very different to him but at the moment he's giving us something that we don't have from anyone else in the squad so it's, it's incredibly important for us and speaking of goals as well or strikers scoring goals Mason Greenwood again <laughs> popping up with a quite wonderful finish again another break another good piece of work by Bruno and as soon as Greenwood's got the ball in the penalty area and he's just shaping up and he's just taking his time finding that little pocket of space you know you know he's going to shoot for it a great finish and really nice to see him having not really... I mean, I don't think he's played since we returned back from the international break, apart from today. Sorry, the, the, the winter break. So it was really nice to see him get that goal, especially because at the moment, with such pressure and so many games coming, you really want get players like Greenwood to be getting the minutes, but not only that, contributing positively. And, you know, again, I think he is playing his role, even when he's not scoring very well indeed. You know, I think he got in... He, he was a key component again in what we were trying to do when we were going forward and you know a finish like that I mean isn't it mad that he's been playing for about six months in this team and you expect that from him now when he gets into the penalty area you're instantly thinking well yeah this is just going in this will be on target so it's either up for the ball to maybe go left or right a little bit around the post or for the goalkeeper to save it and more often than not it goes in you know he is so so great to watch with the ball at his feet it's an absolute joy yeah, I mean it's the cleanliness of his strikes, isn't it? It's the purity of his of his of his yeah. hits, and I mean he scored two goals which have gone in off the underside of the bar. And as far as I'm concerned, every goal should go in off the underside of the bar. They are by far the great the best goals to uh, to watch. Nah, nah, right into the top corner. No, 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 no. He needs he needs an off the underside of the bar and then down even in not even hitting the back of the net before a bounce. And that's that. That's the 
the, the Newcastle one was the was the epitome of the great goal to watch. Just absolutely wellied it and off the underside of the bar, hits the ground and goes into the top of the net. They're, they're the best. Apart from, I suppose, I suppose you could challenge those with the with the diving header, which is always a a, a Keith Houchin diving header classic from the '87 Cup mm. final. But yeah, I mean, the what the only the only the only criticism I have of it's not even criticism really because he's 18. But I think sometimes when Greenwood's playing, we don't see enough of him in general play. I think Ollie said quite a few times, and others, even Fernandez said it today actually, that that he's a, an incredibly mature footballer and finisher, but he's still a boy physically, you, you know, as opposed to kind of um, Rooney type man child that we've seen. You know, the, 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 the teenager that already looks like he's about 26 with the, you know, the, do you want to say um, stocky? St- is that the word you go? Well, just for? stocky or powerful or, you know, with a bit of weight behind muscular, you know, he's got, he's still got a, a relatively juvenile um, body and he's not incredibly tall either. And I think what, what happens when he plays on the right is that we, don't seem to create much down that side. I think. I mean, I think again today we were very, very left-sided biased. Dan James saw an awful lot of the ball down that side, and and, and yeah, Greenwood yeah. was quite. Greenwood tends to be quite quiet. I mean, the, the the thing that he does incredibly well is that he may not be involved in the game at all, but he can just suddenly appear and score a terrific goal, and at, you know, and then suddenly you, you see it. I think. I think what he'll need to do over the next few years, and Ollie's definitely alluded to this, is obviously grow a bit physically, but also just improve his general his general game intelligence. And I think then, once you've got a player who's both an absolutely exquisite finisher and a very uh, effective team player, then you've we've really really got a player on our hands. And I, I kind of feel. I suppose I suppose the contrast is with Rashford. You know, I, I was I was there for Rashford's debut, and even as a an eighteen year old in his first game for United, he's he was already very tall. He was already very well built, very stocky, um, and he was he was ready made to 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 throw into into first team football and actually not be um, not be physically struggling in the game. And I think that's that's the one thing that Greenwood just needs. He just needs a bit of time. And a bit of growing, and a bit of growing into his body, and a bit of just learning game intelligence at a first team level. But he's—I think he's the only—I think he scored more goals than any other teenager in the top five leagues this season. I think that's right. It's it's, it's very stat very similar to that. Um, uh, apart from Haaland? Yes, yeah, sorry. Apart from Haaland, yes. I think it may have been eighteen-year-olds. I think I think it may have been eighteen-year-olds and under. He's the high. He's the top scoring. 18 year old or below ah, okay. in Europe's top five got leagues you. this season which uh, and I think he's got this, other than Harlan I mean I suppose Harlan, I suppose Harlan doesn't count because he only just joined Dortmund and was previously at Salzburg so perhaps he hasn't or, or when the stat I read the stat it was last week he was perhaps behind that figure but the only other the only other teenager with as many as many goal actions either goals or assists in in, in the league this season is is Jaden Sancho um, or was Jaden Sancho last week, which you know says a lot because Sancho's an absolutely astonishing player for for a nineteen year old. So to even be second to Sancho is absolutely no no, no shabby thing at all. I, th- I think the, the the thing is that he just doesn't seem phased by it at all, does he? You see players come in. I think we've seen with Chong um, certainly that coming into the first team, he just hasn't been ready for it mentally. Whereas with Greenwood and also Williams, they've come into the first team. It just hasn't phased them at all. They've just carried on doing exactly what they were doing for the under twenty threes and below. And so I've got no doubt that 
injuries permitting, he'll he'll become an absolutely top class player at some point in the next three or four years. Yeah, that'd be nice. It would I be mean, nice. I guess it's not necessarily. Yeah, it would be. It'd be great. Uh, the only other thing I guess to point out from the Watford game would be uh, Odiana Gallo coming very very close to getting his first Manchester United goal, but taking his ball a little bit too wide from Ben Foster. I guess. Yes, it would have been nice if he'd got one of these two chances in the last week. You know, he's had two excellent opportunities to open his United account. But I think the more important thing for me at the moment in terms of expectations on Igalo is that he's at least getting those chances to begin with. Yes, they are coming towards the end of games and he's a little bit, obviously a lot fitter than the people uh, that are on the pitch around him at that stage. He's going to take advantage of tired legs and obviously be very reactive and quick and sharp. But it's just that he's in those positions to begin with. If he wasn't anywhere near that and he wasn't in tune with what was going on around him, I think I'd be a lot more concerned. Obviously, it'd be nice to see him get a goal and I'm pretty sure over the next couple of months, again, injuries permitting, he will. Um... But yeah, I mean, that, that's that been quite enjoyable to see him slot in with a modicum of comfort, I would say. And I think, again, it's massive for Martial to know that he doesn't have to be flogged for 90 minutes every single game or Greenwood has to be flogged because I'm sure Solskjaer does not want to do that to an 18-year-old at this stage. Even with Rashford out, even with big things expected from this team over the next several months or big things needing to be done, lots of games to play, a lot of games that we need to win. I'm sure this is gonna this could work out quite well. It's looking like a half decent obviously we'd rather have a player of, you know, quite unquote higher quality, but at the moment for our current uses, Agale seems to be working quite well. Yeah, he does, and I think what we've seen in these these first three games, you can see he's offering something very different to Martial. I mean, today we saw Martial again dropping off a lot, drifting wide a lot, and, and other players having to fill that space in the box. But as soon as Igalo came on, he was playing on the shoulder of the of the, of the centre backs and it was the same at Chelsea, you know, the one chance he got was because he essentially spun the the centre back and was in on goal and, and and again he his chance today was from him basically taking a chance and on a back header and and just just being on the shoulder of the centre back and alive to what was happening um so i think i think he does offer something very different i think he's a he'll he'll play in the box a lot more than Martial does um and i think having him as an option but all, and also having bruno fernandez who's not who's much more direct in getting in the box if Martial's driven uh, drifted wide, we're going to have more of a penalty box presence than we than we previously had. I mean, we've I think we've both said the season has driven me mad. United getting the ball in wide areas and having nobody attacking the six yard box or nobody even in in and around the within sort of ten or twelve yards of goal, um, and that's that's definitely something that he was he, he's going to going to offer in the minutes that he gets. And I think he was really unfortunate today actually because that his shot was on target, but the the defender just managed to get a thigh to it to to deflect it onto the post so yeah I mean I've been uh, he's, he's he's looked sharper than I imagined he would so perhaps he'll start on Thursday and, and we'll actually see from the start what he's got to offer well I think that makes sense you know I think with <clears throat> the game so so the tie so nicely poised at one all you know Bridge will obviously have to come out because we are we just about have the most slender advantages with that away goal and I think it offers United. I hope. I mean, it gives us a little bit of security, but I'm hoping we don't take too much advantage of it because there is, it's it's too easy to imagine a scenario where United come a cropper on Thursday night, and I think I wouldn't necessarily expect Bruno uh, Wambasaka to start that game. I'd imagine Brandon Williams comes back in considering he didn't play uh, earlier on today, and you know you might bring one of Pereira and. Uh, 
Lingard back into the equation, you know, bringing both in as we've seen was very damaging to any sort of flow that we tried to create in the first leg. So I do wonder what sort of approach Solskjaer is going to take for that match. And obviously you bring into the equation that we're going to be playing a team in Everton who, despite losing to uh, Arsenal today, are generally in a pretty good run of form. You know, I watched a, a decent enough chunk of that game earlier on this afternoon. Calvert-Lewin with a tremendous bicycle flick in the first minute from that set piece. You know, again, set pieces is something that deeply worries me because United were, again, pretty rubbish at them today. That was where the uh, Troy Deeney's uh, eventually handball goal that was uh, ruled out by VAR came from. And again, it just there's something about United from corners, man. It's just, it's no good. We are not good at dealing with them no. whatsoever. <laughs> And again, you know, looking ahead now, just to wind off uh, this week's episode with the way that March is going to pan out, you know, Everton in the league, uh, Derby in the FA Cup, and then it's what, Sp- uh, City, Spurs, followed by Sheffield United in the league. If we get past Bruges, uh, we'll have the uh, last 16 of the Europa League ties in between those matches. So yeah, it's going to be a very challenging month. A lot of games to play and uh, a lot of potentially tied legs out there, which obviously makes me even more pleased to know that we've got the likes of Fernandez and Nigallo and obviously Matt Tomine coming back in as well. Tomine had a half-decent cameo appearance and I'd imagine he'll probably get a good fair few minutes on Thursday night. And yeah, we're getting a couple of players back. I mean, I'm so cautious about being too optimistic, Rich, because optimism has just been so foolishly placed over the last sort of year or so we thought we turned corners and then we just seemed to fall flat on our asses so i guess with the league especially with you know we don't know if it's if top four or top five is going to be enough to get a last champions league spot it feels very much like we're gonna have to kind of go week to week to see where things are and reevaluate every seven days or so because there's just so many teams involved in that scrap at the minute isn't there there is and they're all really bad aren't they <laughs> I know it's yeah you know I mean this is there's, there's absolutely no doubt that Liverpool are an absolutely exceptional team this season absolutely brilliant you know the best the best team in Europe by by distance as as, in, as sickening as that, that is to say but below that I think the, the standard has been really really poor and I mean, even Leicester now I think they'll they'll certainly finish well I think they'll finish third but they, even Leicester are, drip, are dropping away We're, we find ourselves only nine points behind Leicester and we still got to play them <laughs> well, the, have, yeah. what, the, the, the last game this yeah, season yeah I don't, I don't think they've won a game in a month so all of the teams below below second place really seem capable of going on a run of four or five games where they don't win a game and we absolutely have to praise Sheffield United to the hilt for what they've what they've achieved this season and that the really innovative coaching and a really inter- interesting team to watch, but it's also, I think, reflective of the the state that the other, most of the other sort of notionally larger or more moneyed or fashionable teams in the in the Premier League are in. Um, and it's just so so hard to 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 call. I mean, I'm still I'm still very much of the of the approach with the United of just watching the next game and just taking the next game for whatever it whatever comes from it because I just don't see us quite being capable of going on a run of wins that we'd need to really push and be be safely in the top four. So it's almost just a case of look at the next game and, and see what we can do from there and just see where we end up in a month and two months and then, then worry about about what it all means when, when we're near the end of the season. Yeah, and see who does and doesn't drop points yeah. on any given day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and look at the next few league games we've got. We've got Everton away, we've got... Um, City at home, Spurs away, and then I think Sheffield United at home. So, 
in those yep. four four games we're essentially playing four of the teams sort of in and around us and then we've got a run of what you would normally in, in any normal season classes incredibly winnable, winnable games Brighton away Bournemouth at home Villa away Southampton at home Palace away West Ham at home before we play Leicester on the last game of the season and normally you look at those games and think well they're, they're games where United should be looking to win all six but the reality is it's very unlikely and that we, we, we've tripped ourselves up in games that we should be winning all season hmm. so, so it's yep. just it's absolutely impossible really to look at the, the fixture list and think well this is what I think might happen because it's all just completely up in the air you know we could we could quite easily beat City and beat Spurs and then lose to Brighton and West Ham that's where we are but what what I think does give me a little more confidence is that you can see in in in, in Bruno that we've we've signed a player who is of considerably higher quality than the player whichever player he's playing instead of and even if we have doubts about the team as a whole the squad as a whole of Oli in terms of his coaching the reality is if you put better players on the pitch you've got a better chance of winning football matches and I think he definitely provides a very significant upgrade on the player whichever player we've been playing in that position before whether it be Pereira or whether it's Mata playing in an advanced role or or Lingard or whoever so from that perspective I'm I'm, I'm more positive that we can that we can create and score goals in any given game perhaps than I was before he signed a few weeks ago. No, oh, that's fair enough. A couple of Twitter questions and observations from our wonderful friends uh, to round off the evening's work. Uh, Neil Christie at pizza underscore face. No corner turned. Uh, bad performance until the goal and it only really improved because Watford took the foot off the gas. Mason goal was my fave. Uh, do you know what? I think for the sheer audacity of it, I'm going to go with Martial's my favourite goal of the evening. And it's also worth pointing out two goals off his best ever tally for United since because he's not necessarily had a season better at the moment since his very first one under Van Hal. And he's missed two months. He missed two months of the season as well. So Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean I think somebody somebody pointed out on Twitter that he's he's got the same number of he's got to fifteen goals seven hundred minutes quicker than Lukaku did last season. Really? Wow. It's it's, it's notable. I, mean, I know Lukaku didn't have his didn't have a great season last season by any means, but um he, I think he only finished with 16, 16 league goals last year, didn't he? So yeah, I mean, I've never, I've never had any concerns about Martial as a finisher. I think he's a very good finisher. It's just, it's just the rest of his game and, and what he's offered. But you know, to have to have got the number of goals he's got and having missed, you know, a really big chunk of the season. You can't really, you can't really fault that too much. Well, combined with the fact that United haven't necessarily been playing a high chance game for most of the season, regardless. Yeah, exactly. Of yeah, you know, just... there's, an, there's an argument to say he's been feeding on scraps. Uh, at that James boy has got a very interesting uh, uh, observation on Fernandez. Do you think he's potentially the player that can get the best out of Alexis Sanchez if we can't get him moved on? Uh, that last thing, that last note, does seem quite possible at this stage. You know, I don't know. If, he's still playing for Inter, isn't he? But he's not necessarily being the most involved. And I do wonder whether or not Conte and the club will bulk at the wage demands. I'm sure they will. I mean, injuries yeah. have been his problem. Well, so are we. Well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, injuries have been his problem as well. He's not been fit for most of the season this season at Inter and he wasn't fit for a large portion of the season last year at United. So, um, you know, perhaps Bruno will... If, if you get Sanchez in better positions in and around the box, he'll no doubt be more effective. But if you can't stay fit, it's all pretty relevant anyway mm, absolutely uh rishbar bajuria is martial the worst coach elite european talent of the last five years also is bruno handsome or is the beard thing doing the heavy lifting i think it's the beard 
The beard definitely. I think the beard is definitely helping a little bit. It gives him a nice charm. He does. It? He does give him charm. I mean, I've seen some pictures of him when he was seventeen or eighteen, and very not capable of growing a beard yet. And he's a very, um, very awkward-looking young man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but the beard definitely definitely has a, a certain suave impact on him, doesn't he? And 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 his confidence. Yes, no, as well. I would agree with as that. As for Martial, I know I know what he's saying. I know what he means. He's he's this guy who is supremely gifted talent wise but the the issue has always been harnessing it um and even now you know he, he can do the incredible but but if he if he, if we were actually able to harness that brilliance from him all the time he he could be an absolutely incredible player uh Tariq Amir, can we rule out fred's involvement in the kennedy assassination <laughs> he is everywhere he's absolutely everywhere isn't he i mean he, he is he is the all action midfielder at the moment isn't he uh, at solar underscore hits will Paul Pogba from now on live in Bruno's shadow I mean there had to be a mention of Pogba in there somewhere <laughs> this is a they this did. is the episode of our podcast um I don't know man I mean the discourse around Pogba is you know obviously that was a tongue-in-cheek note from our friend there uh but uh, the discourse surrounding Pogba at the minute is just it, it, it's tiring it's been tiring it's for boring, a long time you know I yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Scott, um, uh, editor for the Republic of Mancunia, was suggesting today, and I can see where he's coming from to a certain extent, that if Pogba is even fit, that we shouldn't play him because essentially he'd just be using us to get fit for the Euros, and you know it, it would be a statement to what's been going on with him and Rina Raiola for this year yeah. to not play him again this year. I'm not sure I would be quite as severe as that with my approach to it. But regardless, you know, I think at this stage, the fact is that he's still not playing for us. So how much do we really need to talk about this? We all know he's going in the summer. We all know that it's not worked out. We all know there's technically there's a good enough vision and view of the situation to say that there's fault on both sides for that. It's not a cut and dried situation. I'm sure we'll have a big discussion about that at the end of year pod Mm. because that's coming up, Rich. Three months from now, maybe three, four months from now, we're going to have to go through the entire squad top to bottom like we always do. We are. Do. We're going to have to welcome Marcus Rocco back as well. Oh, <laughs> well. Actually, we don't, do we? Because, I mean, we, I mean, last year we kind of fobbed off several players because they sort of left midway through the year. Like, I think we gave up on trying to review Mkhitaryan because he left halfway through that year and obviously mm. plays for Arsenal now. Sorry, Roma now. So, twice you know, today, I, I mean, what, what, tell you what, let, let, let's go ahead now. What was the best thing Marcus Rocco did this season? Let's take him out of the equation already. God above. I can't remember. I'm sure it was some sort of brutal tackle or, or wild wild shot from 30 yards. Well, there we go. We've just done a little bit of our work yeah. for the end just, of season just review. Cl- just Excellent click that and work. save it in a file. Yeah, that's Excellent. fine. No problem. Right, Rich, uh, score prediction for Bruges and Everton then, please. Uh, um, I'll have 3-1 win against Bruges. And Everton, wow. Um, I reckon there'll be lots of goals in that. Um, I'll go for 2-2 at Everton. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go for 2-1 uh, on Thursday in the Europa League just because I think it's going to be a very tight evening's work. And I think Bruges, are, I think we're definitely going to make several chances, but we're going to get stung, especially if Sergio is back in full flappy mode, mm. which there was evidence to suggest that might be the case. Um, and then Goodison Park, uh, I'm going to be somewhat, no, I'm not going to be positive because we're going to lose. I'm going to say <laughs> two all. I'll go with you on that one. I hate playing Goodison. I really, really hate it. I mean, I, perhaps it's my generation. I grew up with Everton. We're a really, really good team. And it just feels like one. Of, it feels like one of the big games every season, even if they're crap. Um, and we just we don't win there enough. Um, 
So it'd be really cool if we did. I mean, now we're winning. Now we're winning at Stamford Bridge three times a season. It would be nice if we could win at Goodison Park quite regularly as well. I mean, that, I wouldn't say no to that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's the scene of the crime of arguably what would you say, Ollie's lowest moment? Mm. That four nil thrashing about a year ago. Yeah. So he, I mean. That memory and the way he was talking about the team, you know, offering the, that uh, diatribe of I'm going to be successful at this club yeah. and uh, some of these players will be here for it and some of them won't. And to his, true to his word, uh, several of those players were not there, but most of the starting 11 still are. So there is that to contend with. But regardless, I guess we'll see how that week pans out. Right, Rich, any further comments or are you about done? You're going to go I'm to actually bed? finished. I'm going to bed. Fantastic. All right, mate. Well, I'll speak to you next week. <laughs> see you, mate. Right, guys, thank you very much for listening. As always, don't forget you can get us all over Twitter and the internet should you so wish. You can find Rich at, at Rich Red Voices. You can find me at, at Ewan Lennox and the podcast at Red Voices MUFC and our blog at redvoices.net. Don't forget you can always find the podcast on your uh, hosting app of choice. You can find us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. Have yourselves a superb week. We'll be back after Everton. Bye. Bye.